in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. And a happy Monday to you. Glad to have you aboard, T.C. Martin Show. Hope your weekend went well. As we get into another week, nonstop sports talk. Yes, two hours, 2 to 4 p.m. right here. Streaming live, tcmartinshow.com. Ballpark Frank in the house, joining us. On the other side of the proverbial glass, we've got the nunchuck pushing some of the buttons right, some of the time. And then overseeing him from the almighty perch is the one and only the earthquake. So full studio here today, full glass, even though I think somebody should have brought some Windex here so we can see each other in between glasses. Maybe I don't want to see Numchuck. What do you think about that? Well, you got some cleanups up there. You can try to clean it. You know, maybe put a little sanitizer on it. At least you know, it'll be, you know, if you can't see through it clean, it'll be sanitary clean. So. All right. Maybe Quake can bust out the, the George Foreman grill uh, sanitizer or whatever in the heck that was that we had a while back. The George Foreman grill sanitizer? Yeah. I don't know. Quake, what was it? It wasn't the sanitizer. What, what was it? It was a George Foreman... Grill something. George Foreman endorsed something. Quake, what was it? Degreaser. The, it oh, was the, the degreaser. The, the degreaser. Okay. It, but why do you need the, a degreaser for the when all the grease falls on the bottom of the pan? Is easy I don't know. cleanup. I don't know. It was around here, and it was the expiration date was 2011. Are you telling me the cleanup wasn't as easy as I said it was? <laughs> the cleanup woman did not make an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I don't know. All right, lot to do, lot to cover today. Heavy football day, as you know. Uh, Monday afternoon quarterback edition on the program today. And uh, we will talk to our good friend, the quarterback, Steve Berline from CBS Sports. Fantastic job as an NFL analyst, also college football. But, you know, we're going to have the QB on today to talk about his fighting Irish as the Notre Dame fighting Irish defeat the Clemson Tigers 47-40 to in double overtime. Heck of what a, game. a game. Heck of a game. What a game. A fantastic game. Did you hear that there are a lot of people were blowing this thing up on social media because they were irate, these non-football fans, because the game went so long and went through so many reviews, which I know you were a big, a big fan of that. But uh, might be a terrible Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> save it. That's good. We can touch on today, but save it. No problem. But people were upset because Saturday Night Live was doing a an earlier broadcast instead of waiting till you know eleven thirty on the West Coast. They're going to you know take advantage of this huge game number one against number four and bring on Saturday Night Live, you know, after the local news. So people got a chance to, to, to hang with it. And uh, Dave Chappelle was making an appearance because he looked like making a comeback. He hosted it. He hosted it, which I didn't understand why he felt it necessary to, to light up a cigarette and have a cigarette going during his monologue. I think it had something to do with that last time he hosted it was 2016, and it was right around election time. And he needed to smoke because he had a lot of angst. And now he was smoking because he was calm and things were good again. I think it was more or less like really? a celebration okay. of, all right, finally. Because it, 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 it had a correlation with the election because I believe the last time he was on was 2016. Okay. Okay. And it makes sense, I guess. And I went out after the game. I mean, Chappelle, he does whatever he wants yeah, to. <laughs> I, I, went out to, I went out to a place to uh, get something to eat after the game. So I saw it on the screen, but I didn't have the sound. So I was wondering what's up with the cigarette and kept smoking or whatever. But anyway. Plus, uh, I think he's cool. He thinks he's cool enough that he can smoke on TV, in an indoor arena, or wherever he wants to. So I, I think it was just kind of Chappelle being Chappelle. But for anybody that was upset about that, they still showed the entire thing. Yeah. They showed the whole Saturday night. Right. I mean, they, they didn't show a Dateline or something that was going right. to be the buffer in between or right after or whatever. I mean, who cares? Yeah. Oh, so you had to wait another half hour, an hour before it came on? Oh, boo-hoo. Well, come on, it's man. It's a Saturday night, and i got to stay up another hour. Now, the millennials are impatient, man. Oh, don't you know that? too bad. <laughs> they don't want to watch football. Jeez. They're not going to watch college football. I mean, if they're crying and whining about that, 
then it is truly time to put on your big boy pants yeah. and act like at least a semi-adult. They showed the entire episode. They showed the entire show. It it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Jeez. All right, so we'll, we'll dive into that game, and a, a fantastic game. So we'll talk to Steve Berline this hour. Next hour, we'll talk to uh, Matthew Holt. We'll talk about uh, the five outright underdog wins in the NFL yesterday. Underdogs went 8-4. and four. It was a record day for the sports books. I know when it's usually a record day for the sports books, it's usually not a good day for the players. Uh, I kind of felt that way, even though like with our best bets, uh, as much as I love Notre Dame, I, I, I pick Clemson. I, I just felt like you this weekend. You know, I went against my team. You know, you're going against the Bears. You love the Bears. And I did that, went against Notre Dame. And then Sunday, I felt really good about uh, the Ravens. Loved that game. And I was on pins and needles. Thought I was going to have a carryover from Saturday night from the Notre Dame-Clemson game. They were horrible, and Lamar Jackson was horrible in the first half. Then second half, the Ravens came out and took care of business, and Philip Rivers became Philip Rivers again, which was good for me. And Jackson became the Jackson that you expect when he's not playing exactly. a top-tier team. Exactly, exactly. So that was good, but then I got a little full of myself and decided, you know, I'm, you know, I picked the Arizona Cardinals for my best bets too, so let's go lay the money on that thing, you know? Wow. That it, was it, a fun game, though. It was a fun game, and I'll say this, okay? And people are talking today, just like last week, when the um, when the Dolphins beat the Rams, oh Tua, and we talked about it last week. Where Tua didn't do anything spectacular, threw for ninety three yards. Tua didn't do anything spectacular in this game either. Again, it was the defense came up with with some big stops, and the Dolphins are playing well. But the bottom line was, I kept watching this game because I was thinking about getting off on this game because I w- just I was fearful, and then. Cardinals, you know, uh, had the lead and got tied up again, and they made that uh, miraculous catch in the end zone. I thought, I thought I was feeling pretty good about myself, and then they had uh, the ball driving down with about you know five six minutes to go, and then they went for it from midfield, you know, fourth and inches, and they couldn't get the job done. And again, play calling by Cliff Kingsbury, and again, it just goes to show you when you are wagering. You got to wager on good quarterbacks, good teams, and good coaching. And I went against my principles here and went with Cliff Kingsbury, who I think is very mediocre. He's horrible. Again, the guy couldn't even win in college at Texas Tech. And yeah, the Cardinals should have won that game. If you look at the the way Kyler Murray played, three touchdown passes, ran for another one, he was fantastic. But the play selection on third and fourth downs, and if it wasn't for Kyler Murray making some big plays with his legs – the 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 Cardinals probably get blown out. But on fourth and inches, they get that first down. They're going down and kicking a field goal, probably going to bleed a majority of the clock, and the Cardinals win. I'll be happy, but when they got stuffed there, you knew things were going to change, and then the Dolphins went down and scored, and, and there it was. Yeah, it, it's kind of amazing when you look back at hindsight in so many games. You know, some people always say that, well, you know, players get more credit than they deserve and coaches get more blame than they deserve or vice versa or whatever. But there's a lot of coaches that make really bad decisions on kind of simple situations. We see clock management all the time. We see timeout usage. We see there's a lot of different things out there that you're going, why? What What are you doing? Yeah. It, and it, it doesn't make sense all the time. I, I think we're going to be on the same page. I think Arizona's a better team than their record. I think they're actually a really good team. But you're right. Sometimes it's the sideline decisions that cost them games. And that's got to be frustrating as hell as a player on the bench or whatever. You're out there doing everything you can. You're supposed to respect and, you know, the coaches are there to get you ready for stuff. We know that Dallas has a lot of injuries, but we know that they've already thrown their coaches under the bus. I haven't heard anybody in Arizona saying that. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's not at least a little bit of a sentiment of some of the players shaking their heads and going, what are you guys doing? Why are you preventing us chances to win games? Yeah. In Arizona, I mean, they look like a fraud at times. Now, they got the victory two weeks ago against Seattle, and that was a huge win for them. It was a comeback win. Then they had the bye week. And, you know, part of my handicapping was, and I think I mentioned on on the show Friday, was Kenyon Drake, you know, getting a chance to play against his old team. Kenyon Drake got scratched on on Saturday. And it's like, oh, man, he's not going to be there. And they really had no one to run the ball. 
But again, it was just the play calling and the play selection. And again, if you got fourth and inches and you've got Kyler Murray and you were in that exact same situation a couple possessions earlier and he went and ran one for 30-plus yards, do that again. Instead, you give it to your your third-string running back up the middle and he doesn't gain anything, ball game over. And it was just uh, it was it was just terrible. It was it was just bad was coaching. Yeah. So uh, well, let's again, be honest. Too. I sound bitter, and I am bitter. Well, let's be honest too. I mean, a kicker can miss a forty-nine yard field goal. You can't miss it short. Unbelievable. And you're going back to the end where the Cardinals had a chance to send the game into overtime. And yeah, Zane Gonzalez, a forty-nine yarder. And you know the view that we have from television, straight on. Oh, this is money, right? Yeah, you miss it left or right. You a forty-nine yarder in today's yes. game. Yeah. You don't miss short, right? When was the last time three we've yards seen short? That? Yeah, I mean, okay, fifty-seven yards, sixty yards, something like that. I get it, but a, I, I don't know the last time I've seen an NFL kicker, unless he's nursing a groin injury or something, he's trying to tough it out and get something there. Mm. But a forty-nine yard field goal. On the money, as far as accuracy and short, that's just – it's incomprehensible in yeah. today's game. It's, it's not like it was bad weather conditions or something. No. They did have the roof open, though, by the way, and they do play on grass there. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe they, they, maybe they smoke some grass down there, too. Zane I don't know. Zane Gonzalez, a young kicker. That's the only excuse I have. Zane Gonzalez, young kicker kicker and i, I have no excuse it. there's no excuse yeah, for it it's 49 yards you're in the nfl yeah. if you can't kick it 49 yards you shouldn't be in the nfl how about harrison butker butker yesterday for the chiefs he goes doink costing a lot of people who had the chiefs on a teaser yesterday the line at 10 down to three and he missed the extra point to make it two and Kansas City got another touchdown, got it to nine, but then they got backdoored again and went down to two. And Harrison Butker, again, the guy who kicked, what, the 58-yarder at the end of the game against the Chargers, has kicked numerous 50-yard field goals, and he hits the upright on an extra point in the third quarter? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I don't get this. I mean, we really have to hold our breath now when kickers come on for extra points. Or even chip shot field goals, like you say, in pretty much perfect weather conditions. And I was trying to think about this over the weekend and get your thoughts here. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Because the whole reason the NFL went to this, because uh, it was just, you know. Too automatic. Too automatic. Put the ball down at the 10. You know, no one misses any extra points. So let's make it a little bit more difficult. But, you know, it's one point for that, kicking it, you know, from the 10-yard line. But now it's still one point, you know, kicking it from the, what, 23-yard line, making a 33-yarder. So, but we're seeing it. And we've seen just great kickers like Godzkowski and other people, Butker, who, who missed badly. And we, we saw it again with uh, Boswell for Pittsburgh. Well, I, I guess if you're the NFL, it's a good thing because that's what they wanted. Like you just said, they said it was too automatic. So, so now it's not totally automatic. You still expect your kicker to make that. But there is that chance that he won't make it. You know, before it was so short with the extra point that even a bad kick would still find its way to squeak through most of the time. Now if it's starting with the wrong trajectory or you don't get enough height, if something goes wrong, now there is chances that they will be missed. So uh, theoretically, this is what the NFL said they wanted, so I guess it's a good thing. I don't know if it's a good thing if you're a better or a handicapper (laughs) or whatever. And the other thing that it makes too is how many times do we see an early extra point in a game miss and then we see those coaches with their stupid go to their pocket and, oh, I'm going to go for two here. It changes the whole flow of yeah. the game, the change scoring. All of a sudden, one extra point miss becomes then a two-point conversion miss down the road, and that's like two extra You're points playing catch-up the rest and of the game. And everything is yeah. completely yeah. just out of kilter yeah. because of the longer extra yeah. point. So I guess it's what the NFL wanted. Is it good or bad? I guess it depends on which side your ticket is. Yeah, I guess. And again, just it's it's changes after they played the game a hundred years a certain way, and so oh, let's make it a little bit more interesting. And just like the kickoffs, you know, the kickoffs. Remember, I mean, it used to be way back when it was at the forty, then they moved it up to the thirty-five, and then they went to the thirty, and then they back it up to the thirty-five again. They just can't make up their mind. And then the onside kick is the most preposterous thing that I've ever seen. Again, now if you want excitement, right? What is probably the most exciting? 
play, maybe outside of a safety or a block punt or a block field goal, is the onside kick with the ability to recover an onside kick. And the NFL, for the last two seasons, have taken that just off the table now. Well, no running start. We have to stand put there. And now the percentage is 2% that you can recover an onside kick. So make up your mind, National Football League. What do you want? You want a little excitement by backing up the PAT to make it a 33-yarder, but then an onside kick, which has all the drama in the world, adds pressure to that receiving team because usually what happens is the team just scored, they're in desperate mode right now, and they've got momentum going, and now you just kill all of that. And really, it's like the same thing of kicking an extra point 20 yards. You know, we got away from that, but now we went back to that mindset with an onside kick. Well, and the other thing about the onside kick is um, it, it, what, why the percentage is so low is because you can't load the sides anymore. That I mean, too. You used to have right. everybody run over yeah. there. Well, all of a sudden, you've got 10 guys about to blasting, and the other team's got, wait, when they got five guys on this side, what are we yeah. going to do now? But now it's not that. And now you see teams trying to get more creative with it. You don't even see half the teams put the put it on the tee anymore. They're they're drop kicking it. They're just laying it on the ground and kicking it on the side. They're they're trying to create different ways to make the ball wiggle and go, and go spin all cycle. over the right. self and right. you know do do different things. And then is it ten yards yet? Well, when do we touch it? When can the other team touch it? What's going on here? But yeah, I mean they've, they've they're trying to find ways to make it more successful and maybe to make it more exciting. But yeah, but the NFL. Oh, by the way, what you don't like about the onside kick, I guess, was the collisions that they had out there, which yeah. is why they tried, They're tried saying to They're safety. Take, That's you know, their plan. That's safety Just like card. they did with the kickoffs. I mean, was there a more exciting thing? As a Bears fan, the year that Devin Hester was running punts mm-hmm. and kickoffs and everything else back, you were on the edge of your seat every time there was a kickoff. Even a missed field goal, the one that he took for 107 right. yards. Now it's like... Okay, there's the kickoff. Well, they're going to get it at the, you know, they're, they're just going to down it. And in college, it's even weirder when you're watching these guys and they're fair catching at the five or something right. and they get it at the 25. I know. I'm finally used to that. I know. But I it know. still it's, looks weird. It's still sickening. That's it. All right. So if you're a Chargers fan, speaking of the word sickening, you got that. If you're a Raiders fan, you're related, but you're sweating bullets. And an exciting game yesterday that took place at SoFi Stadium, and the Raiders pulled out the victory 31-26, the final drive where the Chargers looked like, I just had this feeling that, okay, you know, the, the gods are going to be on their side this time. After blowing three 17-point-plus leads and getting uh, tortured at the end, I thought maybe this is their day to get it done. And not that I was really rooting for the Chargers. I had no interest in the game whatsoever. But, of course, Raider fans were sweating bullets, like I said. So the Chargers um, were down five, and they took over at their own 25-yard line with 4.37 to go. 4.37 to go. Now, normally, in a late-game situation, a team may have at least maybe two possessions, maybe even three possessions left in this. They drove right down the field. 13 plays and nine completions later, they get to the Raiders' four-yard line with six seconds to go, and Herbert throws to Mike Williams uh, a little lob pass, a little fade, and Williams came down with the ball, couldn't control it all the way, and so the pass was ruled incomplete. Then Mike Williams was injured on the play, but I guess the good news for the Chargers was at least there was one second on the clock because there were six seconds on the clock, so they had time for one more play, and it sounded like this. One second. Here's the ball game. Herbert will float it right side. It is Parham. Did he catch it? He did. Touchdown, Donald Parham. The Chargers find a way to flip the script on the final play of the game. So Parnham apparently makes the catch. Now, the Charger announcers thought he made the catch. It was a touchdown. The Charger players thought it was a touchdown. The fans at home thought it was a touchdown. I think the Raiders even thought it was a touchdown. Oh, but wait a minute. Uh, Upon further review, you know, we have to go and review this thing. Uh, The officials obviously thought it was a touchdown because they called it a touchdown. But as we find out, not so fast, my friend. It wasn't a touchdown. The field has been changed. The receiver did not maintain control of the ball throughout the 
So Herbert throws to Parnum, thought it was good. It wasn't good. Good luck for the Raiders and more bad luck for the Chargers again. Well, it was a little bit of bad luck, but I want to say this too. The reason everybody thought it was a touchdown, and I'm even going to give the officials, you know what, the guy that called it was behind, he didn't see it hit the ground. The way the receiver celebrated, he basically told everybody I had it. He sold it. He sold it. Does he not realize there's a million cameras at every game that they're going to review it and replay it? He's the one who got the false sense of victory and euphoria for his teammates, for the coaching staff, for the fans at home, for everybody. Okay, he made the Raiders for a minute think, oh, no, we just lost the game. But then they went into an even bigger celebration because of all that. It's all on the receiver's celebration. He knew he, he knew he, when you were in that situation, you know, if it touches the ground, he knew he didn't catch it, but he still jumped around like he did just to crush them that much more after all the crushing blows they've had. They finally don't blow a 17 point lead. The Raiders had to feel comfortable at halftime going, oh, we're down, but we're not down that much. I mean, it is the Chargers. But you're right. They drive down the field like that. I believe there was also one instance where they were looking at a play where they wasted like 15 or 20 seconds, when, and then they ended up calling a timeout. They could have had another 20. They wouldn't have had to rush everything like that. We talk about clock management. That's why they were forced that. They were lucky to have the one second. But if he just gets up and he's like, I, I get it. You're trying to celebrate. You know, we see it in baseball. We see it in every sport. You try to sell the play and the catch or whatever. You can't do it anymore with all the angles. It was obvious that the ball hit the ground. He set them all up to be devastated that much more. You're giving this guy a little bit too much credit. You actually think that he was trying to snow job here? I mean, and, I and, think and, he was trying to steal and, the catch. And did the That's ball? Terrible. Did the ball actually hit the ground? Or yes. Just, or did no, no, it hit the ground. It moved. It, it juggled the, and it hit, it the, hit ground. the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it juggled and hit the ground right between his legs, and then he scooped yeah. it back up. Yeah. You know when that happens. You can sense when it's not in your hands, and you feel it bouncing off your thigh, and then you re-grab it, and you're out of bounds. He didn't have it. You have to know that. You You've played your entire life. He was trying to steal a call, and I get it. Euphoria in the moment and everything else, but you're not going to do it in this day and age. Maybe he was hoping that maybe the defender, and they would say inconclusive because they couldn't see it. You could clearly see it. I get what he was trying to do, but it made the devastation, and it just summed up the Chargers' season that much more. It's week after week they find new ways to lose, and now this one even more crushing because they thought they won. I believe they lost the last week. On a play with Denver By with Drew one Locke. second left. Exactly, exactly. One second, now they finally get That's it. That's what I'm saying. It's totally bad juju, bad karma, bad luck for the Chargers. They're going, and Anthony Lynn's going like, here we go again. And, yeah, it was And the announcers, like you said, the announcers, everybody else, they're celebrating like they'd won because they thought they had because of his celebration. Right, right. All right. It really got to you, didn't it? I, I actually found it comical, to be honest with you, yeah. because it's like, Way to crush everybody in your world that much more. Yeah, the ball clearly moves. And like I said, it looked like he tried to, to gather it in between his knees. But at that point, he's already out of bounds. It was a great effort, but, but he didn't have it. And, and you think that, they, you know, again, there's se- several officials there. The one behind, you're not going to see that. I get that. But, and he's the one that called it. And yeah. the other ones, even the ones on the sideline in that, I, I think his body still, because he was almost in the yeah. fetal position going for it, I don't think they saw it clearly. I figured, I think they thought, we're going to call the touchdown and then it's going to be reviewed. But upon review, it was like you said, it, it, it hit the ground. He was juggling it and he was out of bounds. That's like the hat trick of not a catch. You know people <laughs> are still anti-replay. But just think, I mean, if you're a Raiders fan, you're just loving replay today, aren't you? Because think, it was called a touchdown. If we're in the anti-replay mode, then this thing, bottom line, doesn't get overturned. It, it, you stick with the call. And I'm a replay guy because bottom line is I want to get the call right. And I know, and we'll talk to Steve Berline here in a couple minutes, that replay thing with Clemson Notre Dame on Saturday night, it was ridiculous how many – replays we've got to go back and look at touchdowns and did he break the plane did he not or whatever and just then we got to look at the replay of the replay but you know maybe college needs to clean up a a little bit better because we see some plays that don't even get reviewed in college so they got to clean it up but I am a big proponent of, uh, of replay and just think if you were not 
you know, the, the Raiders, and we talked about this being a big swing game. They're five and three now. If that thing doesn't get reversed. I mean, they're four and four. It's a big difference here. No, I get that, and I'm kind of anti-replay. I, I get it when it's on a scoring play in that. So in that world, they would have reviewed it again. So on scoring plays, I get it. But what I don't like about replays is when they do it so many times. And there's one definitive, here's the angle that shows it clearly. But now they're looking at other angles. Why? Yeah. You're asking for the defi- Once you see it definitive, make the call. Quit delaying the game another two damn minutes or whatever for the replay. Once you see that it's, at, okay, he's out of bounds, he doesn't have the ball, whatever. And then how many times do we see it where they do the replay and then they still get it wrong anyhow? Right, right. That's what frustrates me. It takes forever, and it's still wrong so often. And again, you know, talking about the advent of replay, how we've seen different incarnations of this, you know, you, you said it, you know, right there about, well, it's a scoring play. Well, that didn't matter, but, you know, before. You know, even the early portion of replay up until the last few years, it didn't matter if it was a scoring play. It was still you call it, you call it. You know that that's it. But now, okay, that's going to force you to call it. So remember, you used to have to challenge that, right? But you know, too. we had a game this weekend where they did a replay. They said it stays on the field. Then they came back and said, wait, after the second replay of the replay that they said the play stands, then they overturned it because they said, no, hit the, the back of his leg was down. We actually right. had them replay the same touchdown twice, twice and reverse it on the second one after saying it already stood. How is that possible? What were you looking at the first time that said it stood? And then you went, wait a second. After for the, is, is that like double secret probation? Double secret replay? Listen, man, bottom line is you want to get the call right. You should be happy that they're taking their sweet time, gives you a chance to have another Coke while you're at home, so you got to sit there for another five minutes. If they get the call right, they get the call right. Yeah, and five Let's minutes right. when they do it 20 times in a game, that's why we have four-and-a-half-hour football games, What's wrong and that's with that? why people can't see Saturday Night Live on time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will visit with the quarterback, Steve Berline, next as we talk about Notre Dame-Clemson. We'll also touch on the NFL some better quarterback play uh, this Monday we're talking about comparison to what we talked about last Monday when we had a bunch of horrendous quarterback play. And uh, speaking of maybe some bad quarterback play, tonight's game between the Patriots and the Jets, we'll preview that a little bit later as well. But glad to have you with us here. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a Monday. And uh, don't you dare go anywhere. T.C. Martin. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in, 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 in. Well, don't forget that you can now open a brand new account at William Hill and get yourself some free money as well, too. Yes, William Hill. Our proud partners here of the T.C. Martin Show do our show, as you know, from the new William Hill Sportsbook inside the Cosmopolitan. Actually, it's the kind of the same sportsbook at the Cosmopolitan, but powered now by William Hill. Glad to have William Hill uh, aboard with us, and you can get yourself $50 in your account for free. That's right. When you make a deposit of $50, they will give you an additional $50. Boom. Just like that. It's real simple. Get signed up. Use the promo code TC50. So go deposit 50 bucks. They'll give you an additional 50 bucks. Just use the promo code TC50 and you will be in business. Earn some free money and get it going there at William Hill Sportsbooks. So the 50 becomes 100. There it is. Just like that. All right. And I don't know if uh, some people made some money on Saturday night. Some people lost some money. But if you're back in the Irish, you made some money. As Notre Dame takes care of Clips at 47 to 40, and we bring in the quarterback himself, who was just uh, all smiles today with his ukulele, shillelagh, probably wearing some form of green. We're talking about Steve Berline. What is happening, Steve? Hey, hey, it's a great day in, uh, in Irish land, no doubt about it. And I appreciate you wearing the colors to. To support us today, man, it's very, very big of you, and much appreciated. Absolutely, man. You know, I, I, I love my Irish, no doubt about it, and uh, had, had to sport it today, man. I was, I was thinking about you. You had to be happy. Uh, tell me what was going through your mind while you were watching that game. I imagine you were glued to a television set for about four and a half hours on Saturday night. Well, you know, I, I actually uh, had to hit a couple different spots, uh, you know, for no, different Notre Dame game watch kind of functions. So I, I was I was moving around a little bit, but 
uh, definitely got the, the the full effect of uh, you know whether it was on the radio or on television uh, when I got to my destination. It was uh, the energy was there, man. It was uh, the Notre Dame faithful were were uh, out in full force and uh, understood the significance of the game and uh, really you know the positive vibes. I think is what got us to the finish line. You can. You can say all the things you want uh, about whether Trevor Lawrence was playing or not, and I, I, I agree that was a definite advantage or a factor in the game and uh, uh, probably could have been a different story, but we have no way of knowing that. But we, what we do know is that these two teams are going to, uh, barring something uh, you know, catastrophic, these two teams will meet in the ACC championship, and uh, there will be no excuses that time, and that will be the big one. So. Uh, this kind of sets it up. It sets up a huge rematch, and it's going to be it's going the build up for that game is going to be absolutely massive, and uh, it'll be a winner take all kind of thing, I believe. Yeah. Well, let's let's break down this game and even go before the game, Steve, because you know Notre Dame you know, obviously had this game circled in the calendar. Brian Kelly, they showed you know some of his his pep talks and. They really believe that they could take down Clemson. That hasn't always been the case with Notre Dame teams. We know that they've always had a poor record against top five, top ten teams. And and the last time they actually beat a number one team, uh, I'm sure you remember it, 1993 when they beat Florida State. And Notre Dame was number two at that time. Florida State was was number one. So Notre Dame was equally just as good. But I think it was the first time since... 2005 that they beat a top five team. I believe that was Michigan at that point in time. But when Notre Dame has been in these situations over the last decade or so, especially on Brian Kelly's watch, it just hasn't gone so well. Why do you think it, it, it worked so well for the Irish? Is it because this team is just much better than any of the past Notre Dame's teams that we've seen in the past decade? Well, I, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. And, uh, you know, I had seen a stat that said that Notre Dame had, uh, you know, since 93 had lost 20 consecutive times to top five teams. I and mean, if you think about that stat, that puts it all in perspective. And the fact that uh, under Brian Kelly, as much success as he has had, you know, the, the 10 game, 10 win game, 10, 10 win seasons uh, are, are pretty much expected with him. But, in the big games, they have not shown up. And not only have they not won, they've gotten shellacked in most of them. So this was the the uh, the ultimate getting the monkey off the back game for Brian Kelly, for Ian Book. Uh, you know, his record 26-3 and going into the game, but no big wins and not playing great in the big games. Uh, you know, the throw that he made down the stretch there to set up the tying touchdown, the throw to Avery Davis down the middle, stepping up in the pocket and delivering that strike at the biggest moment of the ball game was absolutely huge. It was the best throw of his career. Uh, they stepped up at the right time. And, and again, we know that Clemson was missing three starters on defense, one potential first-round draft choice. They were not at full strength. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Notre Dame uh, stepped up and played a really, really solid football game across the board. It seemed as though these guys were primed and ready. Uh, they were prepared very well by the coaching staff. I, I really liked what Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, did as far as how he attacked his Clemson defense most of the night. Uh, so I just I just think it was our time, and, and, and everybody did a great job in getting ready for this game, and the moment was not too big for anybody. So we deserved it, and uh, it sets up the next one. You know, it's such a crazy season with the Pac-12 just starting last weekend and the Big Ten only having a handful of games or less in their, you know, under their belt right now. But there are ratings out there right now and rankings, and there's been a lot of talk about the four teams at the end getting into the college football championship and the general consensus in a lot of people's mind was always, well, the SEC could possibly get two teams in, but other conferences would be very hard for that to happen for them. But with Notre Dame being in the ACC this year, and should they play Clemson in the championship game and they have another exciting game like that, and maybe Clemson gets the nod this time in an exciting overtime or double overtime game or something like that, could you see a scenario where both of those teams would get in in a Final Four playing out? Well, I definitely could see that uh, scenario for sure, especially if there's no real standout in the uh, SEC other than Alabama. Uh, and, you know, you know Ohio State's probably going to be there as well. But those other two spots, uh, if, they, if they can justify putting uh, two SEC teams many times in the past, you, you have to be able to justify 
putting Notre Dame and Clemson in there if if that second game goes well. Uh, it is, is a is a well played ball game by both teams, and the game is close. Um, no doubt, especially if Clemson wins. Obviously, if Notre Dame wins, there's no question that Clemson probably doesn't deserve uh, to be there if they lost twice to Notre Dame in one season. But uh, yeah, you can build that case. A lot of things obviously have to happen. We've got to see what other teams have a rightful claim to be in the top four. Uh, but it definitely can happen, uh, especially with the way these rankings are going to kind of fall out, setting up that ACC championship. All right, Steve Berline joins us, CBS Sports, and the former Notre Dame quarterback himself. Clemson, first regular season loss since 2017. That was a 36-game streak, and the Irish got the job done. But we talk about Clemson's quarterback, 29 for 44. I'll let you pronounce his last name, Steve. You do it a lot better uh, than me. But uh, 439 yards, two touchdowns. He rushed for a third score in the overtime. His 439 yards passing the most by any quarterback ever thrown against Notre Dame. A little trivia for you, my friend. Uh, surpassed uh, which former rival who threw for 425 against Notre Dame back in the day. Oh, wow. 425 against Notre Dame back in the day. How far back are we going? I'm going to give you two, like 2002. I'm going to even give you the year. Oh, wow. So, uh, A guy you know very well, by the way. It couldn't be Matt Leiner, was it? Same school, different guy. A guy that I know 2002, though, yeah. huh? Yeah, you got the right school. You hit the right school. Uh, I'm trying to think of oh Carson Palmer. There it is, exactly. Yeah, there it there is. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I did that off the top of my head. I was like, who is going to be? Well, it have to be Carson Palmer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, uh, yeah, talk a little bit uh, about that performance. Uh, you know, from Clemson, uh, especially the quarterback. Well, and I can pronounce his name. I practiced it a lot. Uyunga Lale. Is, is uh, how you pronounce it, supposedly. We'll just call him DJ, though. I, um, I, I go with DJ, yeah, yeah. I just want to say ukulele, yeah, whatever, because we're supposed to say two lele's, right? That's what Trevor Match told us, right? Uyunglele. Ugalele. It's, it's like, it's like Tonga Vailoa, you know. There's no N in there, but you got to pronounce the N. Exactly. Uh, somehow. It's kind of weird. But uh, the bottom line is that, that kid, he, he's going to be a first you know, sure thing, first, uh, you know, first pick um, when the time comes for him. There's no doubt about it. I thought he played very, very well. And I, I've known of the kid because he, he played at Bosco, right. which uh, I live out here in Southern California. And that's the league I came up out of, uh, the, the Trinity League uh, with Modern Day and Servite, where I went to high school, and Santa Margarita, Jay Sarah. That's the best league in the country. And uh, That guy was a, a, an absolute freak uh, as a senior in high school and uh, with his size and combination of, of uh, ability to run the ball and also – uh, to throw at the length of the football field, literally. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So he's got a great future. But, you know, he was only a second start. And, and as well as he played, I guarantee you that there were some key plays in that ball game where they're going to look at the film. And Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, uh, especially that last overtime set there, they threw some blitzes uh, that the young quarterback wasn't quite ready for. I'm sure there were some other looks and some opportunities during the course of that game where if Trevor Lawrence – were in there, uh, maybe Notre Dame might not have uh, taken the risk or maybe Trevor Lawrence might have identified uh, the risk and then made Notre Dame pay the price. That's experience. Uh, and you can't measure that. You can't see it necessarily on, on television and the, the analysts can't get into those kind of things. But if you don't think there's a big difference between Trevor Lawrence and uh, an incredibly talented freshman making his second start, and you don't know football at that level especially. So uh, I tip my hat. The kid played fantastic football. He's going to be an absolute rock star at the next level. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence is a different animal, and he's, he's uh, licking his chops right now. Trust me, he can't wait for that rematch. You know, you, you mentioned the thing at the end when Notre Dame were throwing different looks at him right there in that in that second overtime, and I thought that was interesting too because I'm watching the game and I'm hearing the announcers talking about, well, remember after this one, then we're going to have to start using the two-point conversion. It was almost like they conceded, well, yeah, Notre Dame got a touchdown, but we know Clemson's going to because they're such an offensive juggernaut, but how much credit do you give to Notre Dame's defensive coordinator and their game plan out there going, look, we just got the lead here. This is our chance to win, and they did throw different looks at him and they got to him and sacked him, and all of a sudden that was the ball game. We didn't have to worry about who was going to be able to score two-point conversions because they ended it right there and then. 
Well, I, I don't think it's a, a case of a coach maybe saving a particular kind of a blitz or uh, new exotic look uh, for, for a particular situation like that. Uh, what I think happens is that the really good coaches, and I think Clark Clee, the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, is one of those really good defensive coaches. Uh, he, he, he knows how to make the adjustments on the moves, and he says in his mind he kind of keeps track and says, okay, Next time they go to this formation or we get into a big situation, I'm going to try this because they haven't seen it yet. Maybe this might cause them some problems. So they, they are keeping their, their mind spinning and how to, how to figure out how to make the adjustments uh, to different looks, different personnel groupings, different situational opportunities. And I think that's what it was. It was kind of like, well, he hasn't seen this look yet. Let's give this one and see if they can pick it up. And uh, they worked. And and, and that, that's what great coaches do. They make the right call at the right time. And then the players, of course, have to go out and execute. But uh, that was a combination of, of just a lot of different situations where players did step up when they had opportunities to make plays. And that's how you win the big ball games. All right, Steve Berline joins us. Steve, before we get to the NFL, one last thing about Notre Dame that I want to talk to you about, because I know that you've been in these type of situations before. Notre Dame has the biggest win of the year, biggest win in – in Notre Dame history, oh, maybe over the last whatever it's been, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe even longer than that with his victory over Clemson. Now Notre Dame has to play immediately and go on the road against a Boston College team, which isn't that bad. Talk a little bit about the possibility of a letdown, especially with so much on the line. They gain so much here, and I know you have to guard against these 18, 19-year-old you know, year old kids here from you know, falling back, especially in this shortened season with COVID and everything, that you know, every game is ultra-important. How focused do you got to be, and what do you say to, if you're Brian Kelly and the rest of this coaching staff, considering now you can't afford a slip-up, and how easy is it, as a player, you're feeling sky-high today, to, to go ahead and go to practice this week and then have a road game? Well, if, if Notre Dame has a letdown, I'd be very disappointed from a number of different factors. One, uh, Brian Kelly not being able to get that team ready to play uh, because of the, the, what he's going to preach uh, over the next uh, you know, week, week and a half, whatever it is, is, is okay, we've now put ourselves in position to uh, be in the conversation for the playoffs and the national championship. Now, are we going to find a way to uh, screw this up and not take uh, a very, very scary uh, Boston College team with, by the way, a quarterback who was at Notre Dame, was the number one recruit in the country when he came to Notre Dame three years ago, uh, Phil Jerkovic, and he now transferred out of Notre Dame because he knew he wasn't going to be able to play, went to BC, and I guarantee you one of the reasons he went to BC was because he knew he'd get a shot at Notre Dame this year. And he's playing pretty well. He's a six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound guy that can throw the ball through a through a wall. Uh, he's played pretty well for them all year. Uh, they're a competitive football team, and it, they're going to be primed and ready for this game. So Notre Dame should have no problem getting up for this football game, understanding what's at stake, and also the motivation on the other side with that quarterback who is very talented. So uh, I don't see that being an issue. I would be very disappointed if it was. But you are right. Uh, it's got all the all the indication of being a trap type of a game. I'd just be disappointed if we fell into that trap. All right, we talk about your former Irish. Now let's talk about your former Raiders. They held on for that wild victory here yesterday. Talk about uh, that game and the way it ended, and in uh, the quarterback uh, play that we saw, not just from Derek Carr, who didn't put up spectacular numbers, but again, I mean Carr. I hate to use the the term game manager manager but you know he's 13 for 23 yesterday didn't drop back a whole bunch only 165 yards two touchdowns but ever important no interceptions but Justin Herbert I mean this kid even got he got injured during this game but he came back played well and that last drive was almost turned out to be a phenomenal victory for the Chargers well I love I love Justin Herbert uh but before we talk about him yeah I I thought that uh, the Raiders, that's a game they had to have in order to, to stay in the, in the conversation. And they did it. They did a great job. Uh, they played, they didn't, they didn't turn the ball over. I thought Derek Carr, uh, made some very big plays at key moments, both with his feet and with his arm. Um, you know, the, uh, we expect the throwing. We don't expect him to be hurtling people, uh, down the field making, uh, big third down, uh, conversion runs, uh, to keep drives going and give his team a chance to, 
to finish out drives with touchdowns. So uh, I thought he played very gutsy. I thought he played well. Um, and that's the level he's going to have to play at. You know, obviously there's going to be games where he's going to have to put up bigger numbers than that. But yesterday wasn't one of those days. And, um, you know, fortunately they came away with the victory. Justin Herbert, what he's learning is how difficult it is to win a game in the NFL. His team has been right there knocking on the door pretty much every single game that he has started, and they don't have a whole lot to show for it. Uh, but, man, I can't say enough about the level of, uh, uh, you know, the level of, um, uh, you know, professional, uh, professionalism that this kid is playing with at such a very early state in his career uh, to come out and make the throws and make the plays at key, ball, key points in the ball game. Uh, to be, you know, pushing it up the field, but yet still not turning the ball over, protecting the football um, under pressure. Teams are trying to blitz him, but he's stepping up into pressure and making plays up the field. That's what the great ones do. Uh, he's fearless. Uh, he's obviously a great athlete, and I think he's got an incredible future in front of him. Uh, he reminds me a lot of a, a young John Elway with uh, his skill set and with the way he can throw the football as well. We'll see if uh, when it's all said and done, if if he can be in that conversation. For the Chargers as a team right now, the way that they've been losing the games, blowing 17-point leads, then yesterday thinking that they finally got one, they had just lost the week before with one second left when Denver scores a touchdown. Now they think they reversed that and they get the touchdown, but then after review, the ball clearly is juggled, it hits the ground, and you know they don't get the touchdown even after celebrating like they just won. How difficult is that as a team and as a coaching staff to keep everybody engaged and keep their heads up with the way that they've lost so many games? Well, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Anthony Lynn. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. I, I was uh, a player for the Broncos when he was one of the assistant coaches, and I got to know him quite a bit. He's a, a really special person and a great coach. Uh, this is a team that right now has just been a little bit snake bit with injuries and uh, with with things like uh, what you're talking about the last few weeks at the end of ball games. You know, having having uh, the extreme uh, emotional swings. Uh, you know, when you when you put yourself in position, you think you've got the game won, and then all of a sudden, the absolute worst case scenario plays itself out. So, uh, it's a challenge for him right now. I know that, uh, uh, but I, I do believe he thinks he's got a good football team. I think they believe they found their quarterback. Uh, they've just got to get a few breaks at the key points in these ball games, and then get some confidence rolling where they expect to win in those situations. Right now, they want it so bad, and they they're trying so hard. But I think that. You know, they, they don't really believe that it's going to happen. That that comes with experience. And when you start winning those ball games, you start feeling like you deserve them and you, you are ready to win those ball games. And this team will be there soon enough, I'm sure. With that quarterback, uh, they're, they're going to they're gonna do some good things before this year is said and done. All right, before we let you go, Steve, you mentioned the Broncos, your former team, playing your other former team, the Raiders, coming up this weekend here at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, give us some thoughts. The Broncos, they've been a hard luck team. They almost came from behind yesterday to defeat Atlanta, coming off that victory two weeks ago where you know they beat the Chargers the last second at home. Give us some thoughts about this Broncos-Raiders matchup coming up Sunday. Well, this is a Broncos team that I think is pretty dangerous, too. You know, you've got a, a young quarterback who thinks he's pretty good in uh, Drew Locke. And uh, he'll be the first one to tell you, you know, he doesn't doesn't seem to shy away from making comments and, and uh, talking about whether, you know, they've arrived and they deserve to be in the conversations or not. Uh, uh, they're, a team, they're a young football team, especially on the offensive side. Uh, even without Cortland Sutton, their star receiver, they, they have a lot of good young wide receivers. They've got Melvin Gordon uh, at running back and then Phillip Lindsay and a couple other guys they rotate in there. Uh, they're getting some confidence. They're starting to believe they can uh, win ball games and put some points on the board. So it's, it's a dangerous one. Uh, this AFC West, I think, is pretty competitive uh, despite the records of, of the Chargers and, and the Broncos at this point. Uh, I, I think you're going to, um, you know, you're going to see these teams knocking off some, some big, big opponents as the year, you know, comes to a close as we get into the final months of the season. We'll hopefully see the Raiders step up to the challenge and be ready to play and find a way to bring home the W next week and keep themselves in, in the in the front in, in the in the driver's seat for one of those wild card spots. Sounds like a really good excuse for you coming to Vegas to see both your former teams there. Come on man, I'm sure we can get you in a Legion <laughs> Stadium there. Hey. Hey, pretty much any stadium you go to, you see one of my former teams. <laughs> this <So>. is true. <laughs> 
I only played for six, so uh, anyway. There you go. I man. love it. All right, brother. Hey, we appreciate you as always. Uh, a shout out and a plug, of course, for your show on CBS Sports Network as well. Go ahead and plug away. Well, yeah, it uh, should be coming on right about now on, on CBS yep. Sports Network. Uh, Monday NFL TV, Trent Green, Rich Gannon, and myself breaking it down. Uh, we got into a lot of good stuff today. Uh, I've talked about some of the stuff you and I just talked about, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's always a great show. CBS Sports Network, check it out. Monday NFL QB. There it is. Are there some arguments between you guys, like who is the better quarterback and all that stuff? There had to be. Yeah, a little... We have some fun with this sometimes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I'm known as the Kirk Cousins hater because uh, I'm always ripping him, and yep. uh, you know they're always defending him, and you know so there's there's a very very fun banter that goes on pretty much every week. It's there a great is. show. There it is. All right, there he is, a former Irish quarterback, and uh, has done a great job with CBS and the NFL side, the college side for a long time. Steve Berline, we'll let you get back to the linebacker lounge, my friend. They're still partying in South Bend, the <laughs> linebacker lounge. Look out. Yes, sir. You know they are, man. Take care. We'll see you guys. There you go. Steve Berline joins us. There it is. Uh, great time to be in South Bend. Even though, you know, the limited number of fans that could be at that game on Saturday night. But, uh, you know, they're still feeling it, man, beating, off, beating up number one. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, too, and I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but I did find it not comical or not ironic or nothing, but just the way that the world is today. What was one of the big things on social media right after that game? Oh, look for the big COVID outbreak now at Notre Dame with everybody ch- rushing the field oh, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And and there, were, I will say it seemed like I didn't know there were that many fa- fans in the stand. It seems like some of the people outside the stadium still came in. Oh, yeah, no doubt. All right, great atmosphere there. All right, love that place. Too South, bad, uh, South Bend. Uh, gotta love it. All right, when we come back, Matthew Holt will join us next hour. We'll talk more NFL. We'll talk uh, about tonight's game as well, too. It's kind of a dog of a game, but... We'll see what happens if the dogs can continue to cover. The Jets are going to start Joe Flacco tonight, getting about nine and a half. So we'll hit that and a whole lot more. Frank Harnish in the house, yours truly. Back with more of the T.C. Martin Show, hour number two on the way.